Into the Archives with Peter Fleming. A quest for the lost children's television classics of Peter Fleming. Presented by me, Peter Fleming. This week, Stargazing. Good evening, my friends. Why am I whispering? Good evening, my friends. Peter Fleming here. Uh, as I'm sure you can hear, I'm out in the field. Uh, well, a field. And the time is exactly nighttime p.m. This week, I thought I'd share with you one of my favourite hobbies, astronomy. I've come to a nice open area, very few lights about, should give me a lovely view of the night sky. And while we're at it, I thought I could tell you about some of my best-loved BBC programmes that enabled me to indulge my interest. I know I'd promised this episode would be looking at the arguably tragic final stunt of the great train juggle, but uh, as my suspended sentence at the time was conditional on me never talking about it again, I decided I'd best talk about something else. Now, I thought it might be fun if we could share our stargazing experience. So if you're listening in the daytime and you'd like to join in, why not pause your listening, as I believe you're now able to do, and come back to it this evening once you're out in the field too. Uh, don't worry, I'll wait. Starting from... Now. Oh, there you are. About time, too. I've been waiting for hours. This is... Peter Remembers. Well, what child doesn't feel enchanted looking up at the stars and out into the universe, eh? I certainly did, but uh, growing up I found none of the children in the home where I lived, uh, or the matrons come to that, shared my enthusiasm. Uh, not to the extent that they'd sit out in the garden all night, anyway. What are you looking for, Fleming? Think your mummy and daddy are going to fall out of the sky? <laughs> Mrs. Baisley could be very cruel. It really got under my skin, that. Uh, well, not Mrs. Baisley. Uh, she got run over one day, so I had the last laugh. <laughs> you know, that day you could hear us all cheering for miles around. <laughs> uh, no, uh, what got to me was the children's inability to see what was so rewarding about it. Uh, you didn't look up there expecting aliens to come down, uh, but every night, watching the slow change of the stars, you'd feel as if you were mapping it out for yourself, uh, finding your own place in it all. And even the smallest dart of light, a little pinprick streaking across the blackness, it felt like the whole universe was unfolding before your eyes like a flower. Just a glimmer of possibility, and it meant everything. But nobody ever understood... Well, uh, not quite nobody. I always saw our next-door neighbour getting involved each night, too. He'd be out watching with his pair of binoculars. Uh, except he was up a tree. Uh, he was always pointing them in the wrong direction, uh, down to me on the ground. Uh, I always used to call up, Hello, you're doing it all wrong! And he'd reply with a strangled, Oh, Christ, he's seen me! And he'd fall out of the tree and ran back inside, frantically muttering. <laughs> you know what all that was about, really? But uh, once I'd started making programmes at the BBC, I knew I wanted to show the next generation what was so exciting about it, in terms they could understand. The first such attempt was Gazing Back in 1965, my series about a group of alien astronomers looking out from their own planet. It was the received wisdom of science fiction back then. If you wanted children to be interested, chuck some aliens in. But what would these aliens be fascinated by? Why, us, of course in every aspect of our lives on Earth that they saw. And that was what we showed on screen, and that was our mistake. Uh, 
Made it look like all astronomy had to offer was seeing cars and lampposts through a telescope, saying, ooh, that's fascinating. Probably should have worked in a bit more variety, really, but uh, we only had time to film on one street in the whole of the six weeks. Uh, children all hated it, completely underwhelmed. Uh, that rejection really stung, so I tried responding to it a few years later, in 1969's Here Tomorrow, Gone the Day After, where I showed a future in which space travel, decades on from the moon landing, was viewed as tedious and forgotten. Uh, you see, I was saying to the children, even the most exciting thing can be mistaken for boring. And let me tell you, that programme was hated by no children whatsoever, uh, or watched. BBC management, on the other hand, were furious. They said we were spoiling everybody's fun. It was no different to what Doctor Who had been doing all the way through their 1969 season. Though now I think of it, when they came back the following year, they'd had a complete change of their lead cast and producer, so perhaps we got off lightly. Sadly, one of the best-remembered moments from my astronomical programmes was deeply unedifying and equally unplanned. In 1973, I managed to convince Patrick Moore to try out a version of The Sky at Night for children called Look Up, Look Out. It only lasted one edition, unfortunately, because of an incident that occurred during the live broadcast, featuring yours truly, in fact. I'd had to step in uh, literally at the last minute as a co-presenter. It was a wonderful opportunity to show my enthusiasm. Or rather, it would have been if it weren't for the fact Patrick was in a furious mood, uh, having learned earlier in the day that his intended co-presenter, Mary, was a woman. And even though we'd sorted that all out, uh, he didn't get any easier as the programme went on. Now, I decided it would be good to give children practical advice for stargazing, including how to view safely an upcoming partial solar eclipse along the south coast. But Patrick didn't like this at all, must have felt I was being a typical patronising BBC type, and it really did boil over. Worst of all, that moment was captured by a viewer who managed to switch on his microphone just in time to immortalise one of the true low points of my career. But as that's all there is to show of the programme, here it is. Instead, you must always... You are not telling them that. Well, I'm only giving them advice, Patrick. This is utter nonsense. Well, if they want to look at the eclipse safely... It's I... absolute rubbish. It is not you rubbish. You give I... that to me. I'm not giving you my notes. I need, you I... No, I need these. Hand them no, over stop now. Stop, stop this. Stop this. I'm trying to make a programme, and you've been giving me trouble all day, and I... Right, that's it. I've, I've got your monocle. I've got your monocle. I've got his monocle. You give that I've got Patrick Moore's monocle. Come and get your monocle, Moore. Come on, if you think you're so tough. you little... he's banging his leg. Come on, come and get your monocle, Moore. You're an on you, I'm going to launch you to Jupiter out of your own ass. After that, no one really took the rest of the programme in. Less still the eclipse. Real missed opportunity. Still, got a nice monocle out of it. And, as I'm not co-presenting with Patrick tonight, I can finally give you the safety notice to which he so vigorously objected. Never look directly at the sun. Always filter it through a telescope. Now, is that so wrong, Patrick? Which brings us neatly on to this week's edition of... Peter's Private Collection. Well, I have a very special piece to show you tonight, except I don't have it yet. You see, as part of Look Up, Look Out, I thought it'd be good if we could instruct disadvantaged children how they could make an affordable telescope of their own at home. And I have with me a copy of the instruction sheet you could send off for. And I'm now going to demonstrate for you how to put one together. It'll be very useful for the next solar eclipse. And I'll have you know, there's another partial one happening very soon. So, 
First of all, for this you will need uh, a long cardboard tube, uh, for instance the centre of a kitchen roll. Uh, I've got two smaller ones from a public convenience, but uh, those will do. Uh, you'll also need cellophane or cling film. Uh, well, I haven't got either of those, uh, but we'll say that's optional. Uh, scissors and double-sided sticky tape. Well, I haven't got those either. Uh, well, I'll improvise. Uh, so, uh, let's begin. Step one. Measure and cut two circles of cellophane or cling film to fit onto either end of the cardboard tube. Uh, well, we'll skip ahead. Uh, step two. Cut all the way along the length of the tube and flatten it out into a rectangle. Uh, well, I haven't got any scissors, so I'll, uh, I'll rip as precisely as I can. Uh, yeah, do it, honey. Uh, step three. Attach a strip of double-sided sticky tape along each inside edge. Uh, I suppose now it's a round out of here. Uh, very dignified, this. Uh, which brings us on to our final step, step four. Insert a telescope into the tube and seal it up. Mm. Maybe I should have asked to sign off on this one. Uh, well, at least you know how to make your own now, anyway, so uh, have fun with your finished telescope. Uh, hopefully I'll have mine ready in time for the eclipse, uh, well, as long as I get to see it somehow, that's, uh, that's enough for me. It's such a rare occurrence after all, aren't they? Uh, let's check my little list, actually. I I'll give you the exact data. I keep track of all of them. Uh, right, so the, the, the next solar eclipse will be on Thursday, the 10th of June, 2021. Bugger. Uh, well, while we're waiting for the next one, there are still plenty of other ways to engage with the universe, as you'll now learn from this commercial message. The Peter Fleming Space Centre is open for business. Take one giant leap for your mind with our unique educational sessions, informed by a host of Peter Fleming classics and the many complaints of inaccuracy they received. Broaden your horizons with three thrilling activities. Fake your own moon landing with a clockwork cine camera. Test out the local gravity at the designated jumping up and down spot. And recreate the early space launches using a handcrafted trebuchet and the chassis from a burnt out car I found. Safer than the real thing. And don't miss the chance to visit our gift shop and treat yourself to an exotic rock from a planet in the solar system. You'll have to buy a ticket to find out which for just $89.99. Sorry, $899.99. Warning, the Space Centre has no fixed premises. By booking, you accept the risk of having to disperse immediately if the police are called. Blast off to the Peter Fleming Space Centre and bring your family crashing down to Earth today. Oh, uh, that reminds me, actually. I had to leave the trebuchet and chassis behind uh, after the last dispersal. I think the police got them in the end. Uh, but the rest is all here, so uh, fun for all the family. And now, a very exciting occasion. I am pleased tonight to be reviving a much-loved feature from the last series of Into the Archives with this week's Big Interview. The Big Interview. Well, as so often happened last series, I haven't got anyone to talk to, but uh, it's nice to hear the music, isn't it? 
The Big Interview. Yeah, lovely. And now, let's cast our ears back with tonight's dip into the audio archive. Audio archive. Well, this week I will be discussing 1970s messages from beyond. Messages from... Uh, no, no, not yet. I actually made two separate series by that name. Uh, one about the supernatural, which uh, I think I mentioned last series, uh, and one science fiction. Uh, but they started a couple of weeks apart, so I shouldn't think it caused any confusion. Uh, but this one, I'd say the more accomplished of the two, uh, told the story of astronomer Professor Marvin Garson and his prodigious daughter, Liz. We join them in the state-of-the-art observatory where they live and work, with the pompous Sir Colville Bottomley from the Ministry of Science breathing down their necks, and just as a mysterious sound has been picked up on their new radio telescope. It's coming through stronger now, Dad. Stronger indeed. The government has made good money from this observatory, Professor. Am I supposed to go back to the Ministry and tell them all we're getting is this blasted interference? Good grief, man. Don't you realise this sound is an interference? It's some kind of a signal, and we're picking it up. Signal, my foot. I was in the war, Professor. I know every signal there is, and that is not one of them. Perhaps you don't recognise it, sir, because it isn't emanating from the 1850s or wherever it is they found you. Perhaps you don't recognise it because this telescope is pointing up into space. You mean it might not be coming from Earth? Exactly. What a load of poppies, cock. Well, that was only the beginning. And over the next eight weeks, we saw Liz and her father decode the signal, create a message of their own in reply, and finally attract an alien craft to the very heart of London. A very good idea to show the children at home someone their own age getting so involved, I think. And it built up a lot of intrigue, not to mention a sizable audience, too. You know, in fact, perhaps this was the one where I really got it right. I'd love to see it again, you know. And that's not beyond the realms of possibility, as it was sold very widely. I know this because the BBC felt there was too much confusion between the two Messages from Beyond series, and so they refused to sell either. So I had to go and do it myself. I'd discreetly go on holiday to foreign TV stations, and I'd chuck them both in as a special offer with a load of Dad's armies I'd nicked. I had to master a lot of different languages in quick succession along the way, you know, with uh, varying degrees of failure. That's actually how I ended up banned from Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, and Hong Kong. Oh, actually, that, that last one was, uh, was something else. Another side effect of the series' popularity is that it's not just the clip I played you that exists, but also all the music and a full off-air recording of the chromatic final episode. Here's an excerpt from the opening scene, when our characters arrive at the newly landed spacecraft in the middle of Trafalgar Square. Well, Sir Colville, would you care to make first contact? Why, I, I can't. Not without authority from the Ministry, you understand. Of course. I suppose they wouldn't be happy with me doing it. No, 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 no. Quite out of the question. Why don't you, Liz? Me, Dad? It was you who cracked the code, remember? Good heavens, man. She's only a child. And she's more qualified than either of us. Don't be afraid, Liz. H Hello. My name's Liz. This man's my father. Welcome. 
to the planet Earth. <gasps> Look! Well, the episode continues and the aliens are finally revealed. But you know, I remember the final episode was so unpopular and the ending considered so unsatisfactory that I've actually decided to withhold it this time so you can enjoy the potential instead. You know, sometimes I think viewers really don't deserve endings. You never seem to be happy with them. But uh, for the few weeks leading up to that ending at least, I really had managed to get children thinking about the stars. And perhaps that's what it's all about. You don't always like the answer you get. Sometimes you look out, no answer comes at all. But it's not really the answer that matters. It's asking the question. Not what you discover, but what you might. The chase, not the capture. But that said, if you have any copies of the series, I really would like them back. I'm not doing this just to look for them. Well, I suppose I can't talk about messages from beyond without looking over correspondence and the funds raised for my Global Archive expedition in, uh, Messages from Beyond. Uh, yes. Well, this week I have received... nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, no letters, uh, Nothing. Yeah, so there's uh, not much point really looking at the travel totalizer this week either. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Well, the the total raised obviously hasn't changed uh, because uh, because I haven't well I haven't had an, I've had nothing I've I've had nothing. Yeah. Uh, but if there is anyone out there listening to this who'd uh, like to get in touch, uh, be it with a recovered episode or or an enticing clue as to one's whereabouts or. or uh, Really, any financial contribution to the expedition. Uh, I was hoping I might be able to set off in a week or two, but, um... Well, we see. Um, anyway, uh, here's the address to use. Peter Fleming, directly beneath Ursa Minor, in, um, a field somewhere, uh, Cheshire, I think, uh, postcode... Uh, Oh, just, uh, just draw the constellation and, uh, put a stamp on. I'm sure that'll do. Messages from beyond. Well, that's about all we've got time for on Into the Archives this week. Uh, I'm going to see out the night here, I think. Uh, lie down on the grass, uh, listen to some messages from beyond music, pop my old monocle on and look up at all those stars. Best thing you can watch nowadays, I should think. But, uh... Join us again next time uh, when I'll be discussing the many occasions throughout the 1970s when I made TV's John Pertwee fear for his very life. Until then, my friends, keep up the search, keep in touch, and stay tuned. Right. Put that down there. This is message back. Just look at all those stars. Is there anybody out there? 
Is there anybody out there? Oh, I wish I could be out there. That's not messages from beyond, that's, uh, that's floating Mr. McAllister. Floating Mr. McAllister. I wish I could be out there. I've had an idea. Into the Archives was presented by Peter Fleming. His archivist and producer of the programme is Tom Burgess. Music and sound were found in a skip in Made Avail by Peter Fleming and remastered by Tom Burgess. Messages from Beyond was written, produced and directed by Peter Fleming and Look Up, Look Out was produced by Peter Fleming with studio direction by David Collison. Patrick Moore's estate has no comment to make. The clips were used with the kind permission of Gillian Anderson and remastered by Tom Burgess. Special thanks to Eleanor Morton and Sam Nicaresti. The Daleks were created by Terry Nation. This programme was a Peter Fleming production for inspiring you. Did it work? <laughs>